Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. As we all know, the new year is upon us, and the entrance of the new year is an exciting moment for most people. And I think this is because we look forward to an anticipation of having new experiences, and we look at a new year as a fresh start on life, and we somehow feel that this year is going to be a whole lot better than the last one. That is the hope for most of us anyway. We're leaving the past behind and looking ahead to a brighter future. We feel that maybe we failed at dieting last year. Let me crouch down a little bit here so you can't see me, but... This year we'll succeed at losing those 50 pounds. We feel that maybe we didn't get that raise that we wanted last year because we didn't impress the boss enough. But this year we'll do a whole lot better at our job, right? In our spiritual life, we might feel as though we failed in setting aside time to read God's word and pray. But we're certain that we'll succeed this year. New Year's is a time of new beginnings. And we all get excited about new things. And a great many of us see this new year as a new start on life, as a joyous thing. However, this morning, I want to speak to you about another kind of new beginning and another kind of of a fresh start. I want to talk about something that's a whole lot more exciting than a new year. I want to speak to you about receiving a brand new life. More specifically, I want to talk about receiving a brand new spiritual life as a child of God. And of course, we get excited when we think about fresh start on life, but what if I were to tell you that you could do something greater than just improving your physical life? What if I told you that you could be transformed into a new creation? That would be exciting news, correct? Well, the Bible tells us that we can indeed become a new creation. And I want to share that awesome news with you right now. Open your Bibles to the text that I gave you in your bulletin there. Chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. We're going to look at verse 17 at the moment. But what it's going to talk about here is going through a spiritual metamorphosis. And I know some of you are like, well, that's a big word. What does that mean? Verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In verse 17, we see a 
wonderful promise made. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we see here that if we're in Christ, we will receive newness of life. But what does it mean to be in Christ? If you are in Christ, then you are a Christian. The word Christian, though, is not a title for a certain belief system that you can possibly hold since you were a child. And it's not a word that means someone who goes to church once a week. It's someone who tries to live his or her life as though he or she were actually an extension of Christ himself. The word Christian means little Christ. And it denotes oneness with Christ Jesus. It is someone who lives his or her entire life for Jesus. Go back to verse 15 and you'll see where it says, He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, if you call yourself a Christian, then remember that you're someone who is supposed to be living your entire life. For Jesus and not for yourself. How is this done? Now, many of us have our interpretation of what that means to be a Christian. Some of you do things differently, some of you have routines that are different from others. But how do we accomplish this? How are we Christians? According to Romans 6, being in Christ is becoming as one with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's doing as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, when he declared, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. A Christian is a person who has crucified his flesh or his sinful nature, or rather he has put it aside in order that he be raised, resurrected into newness of life with Christ Jesus. The way that we crucify the sinful nature is to admit to God that we're living in sin. For Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We must then ask forgiveness for our sins and admit that we believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for those sins and when he died on that cross. So we must also believe that Jesus rose from the grave in order to conquer the sin and death that has been reigning in our lives. As a Christian, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. If I am, we need to talk. And that's a good thing. We need to talk. We need to be reminded of why we claim to be Christian. 
We need to be reminded why we live the life we do. And to also understand that when we don't live the Christ life, it's evident and Satan will attack. He will bring all those negative things to the forefront for all the world to see. Because what does the world want to do more than anything? Tell you that God is not alive. That God does not exist. That God has nothing to do with anything in your life. That is good, that is bad, that is anything. You make what your life is. Has nothing to do with anyone else but your own decisions and your own consequences. As a Christian, we know this to be a lie. We know this as a tactic of the devil to get rid of everything that God has built in our lives. When we're saved, it means that we have been rescued from death of sin. And if we confess that sin, then according to Job 33, our flesh shall be like young as a child's. And we shall return to the days of our youth. If we'll just allow Jesus to forgive us for our sins. And then start living out that life for him will be transformed into that new creation in a spiritual sense. Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And that Jesus was revealing to Nicodemus that this new birth is to be found in the spiritual sense. When we identify ourselves with Jesus, we become in Christ. Then we spiritually become that new creation. And therefore, those who are in Christ, or those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we are then spiritually made anew, and reborn. Now we've been referring to the phrase a new creation. So, what is a new creation? What does that mean? The Greek word used here is distis. If anyone has dedicated him or herself to Christ, then that person is a new kistis. The two major meanings of this word are this. First, the act of creation, or number two, the thing created or the creation itself. Second Corinthians 5.17 thus means this, that when someone has decided to dedicate their life to Jesus, then Jesus brings a new act of creation in their life. They are not merely reformed, or rehabilitated, they are recreated. They become a brand new person from within, and they begin a brand new life. A new Christian is recreated in a similar manner as a caterpillar is recreated into a beautiful butterfly. They undergo a spiritual 
metamorphosis, so to speak. So think about that caterpillar for a moment. You got that fuzzy little guy in your head? Well, that's what a caterpillar is. It's a prickly, lazy bug working hard to go nowhere. You realize that? He's working hard to go nowhere. Little boys will try to squash them with their shoes. And some girls will sometimes run away screaming when they see one. However, something very amazing happens that becomes a picture of God's grace. In which is known as the chrysalis period, a thick film covers the caterpillar and a chemical reaction changes the very makeup of the creature. And very soon, a butterfly can be seen which eventually emerges and spreads its wings and begins to kick off its old life and begin its new one. We know that as the life cycle of metamorphosis. And Christians undergo a very similar change. Once we were useless caterpillars, but in an instant the Holy Spirit comes into our life like a cocoon and cocoons over our hearts and begins a spiritual metamorphosis. And the end result is a beautiful work of God that can fly to new heights and have limitless potential in changing its surroundings. Do you realize the power that we have as Christians? Do you? Do you understand what God has given us? This wonderful gift of life. Sometimes it's cut short. Sometimes it doesn't pan out the way we think it should. But God has given you your life for a specific reason. And glory be to God when he reveals that to us. And he does. He reveals it every day. Are you not sitting here this morning? God's got a purpose for each and every one of us. When we're made into a new creation, we receive a new destiny. Remember back in verse 15, Paul said that we should no longer live for ourselves. Did you ever stop to realize that the caterpillar is of no help to those around it? What does a caterpillar do for you? Nothing. Well, I don't know. Some people like caterpillars, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't eat other pests. It only drinks sap from trees and plants. And it lives a self-centered life. God can take our flawed life and make it into something useful and meaningful. He can give us a purpose in living for him. We are also able to overcome the obstacles of life much easier when we become a new creation in Christ. When a caterpillar encounters a large boulder in the road, what does it do? Sometimes it'll stop, go back the way it came, or walk around it. But in his new life as a butterfly, he looks at that boulder or that rock as a nice landing pad 
to get a better, a, a better view of where he wants to go next time. And he can f- now fly over and beyond his old obstacles. You see, God wants us to fly from yesterday's failures and tomorrow's fears. We also receive a new identity when we are transformed into that new creation in Christ. The birds that once ate the caterpillar don't even recognize the butterfly that shares the skies with them. The caterpillar takes on a new identity, a new beginning, and a fresh start, much like we seek to do every new year. So if you get excited when you hear about new things, then becoming a new creation in Christ ought to get your feet to dancing and your hands to clapping, period. We should be excited about this. Are there going to be obstacles? Of course there are. There can be times where we're going to want to turn around and go back the other way? Absolutely. But that's God giving us an opportunity to grow, to become that new creation. And when we make a New Year's resolution, even though we're somewhat excited about it, We're also secretly dreading it because we're afraid of what? We're afraid of failure, aren't we? We're afraid that we can't accomplish what we set out to do. But when we set out to give our life to Christ, it's not up to us to remove the sin and transform ourselves. Because Jesus did all the work of transforming in our lives. All we have to do is submit. And to understand that this is not on me. God's going to do that with me, for me, and transform me. He's the one who did the hard part when he took away the sin by dying on the cross for each of us. Becoming a new creation in Jesus is something to hope in and look forward to. And if you've not accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to seek out an individual, a group, someone who can help lead you to the truth and understand why you need to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Becoming A new creation in Jesus is something to hope in and to look forward to. Becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus should be your goal this morning and for the upcoming new year. But understand this. With that becomes the ministry of of reconciliation. Verses 18 and 19 says this, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, 
and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So verse 18 is basically telling us that we've been reconciled to God. How? Through Christ Jesus. Isaiah 59 tells us that our sin results in separation from God. However, through Christ, we are put in right standing with God. And what I read this morning through the call to worship in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said that we are formerly dead in our trespasses, meaning that before we received Christ, we were dead in our sins. And remember, Romans 6.23 tells that the wages of that sin or that penalty is death. We were dead in our trespasses or sins. But verse 19 tells us that our Lord did not impute our trespasses to us. And that word impute means to charge or to attribute. God won't charge us with the penalty of our sins if we'll accept Jesus into our heart. And this is because Jesus took that penalty upon himself when he died on the cross for you and me. And this is something which we should be shouting for joy. We don't do it enough. News like this is much more exciting than the entrance of a new year. Verses 18 and 19 re-emphasize verse 15, which says, of course, that those who live shall not live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We're reconciled to God when we receive Christ into our heart. And because we've been given this wondrous gift, we're obligated to do what? Yes. But we're also obligated to pay it forward. We're obligated to pay it forward. This is our spiritual duty and responsibility as believers or new creations in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We also know this as the Great Commission. And we're commanded hereby to share the love of Christ with the entire world. The wondrous joy that we found in becoming a new creation in Christ is something that we should be excited to share with others. So what are we supposed to do? We tell someone how they too can become a new creation. But also talking about that. And John, you mentioned this this morning. That we need to go from insignificance to ambassador. We need to be ambassadors of Christ. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Pleading. Understand that it should be a sense of desperation that we get the good news to others. They need to hear it. 
They need to understand it. They need to be living it. For those of us who receive Jesus into our heart, we're not only transformed into a new creation, but we're given a new job. We're given responsibility and significance as we become ambassadors for Christ. And as one of Christ's new creations, we move from insignificance to significance. We're transformed and we become valuable in the eyes of God. How would you like to receive a new job this new year? I don't. But that's on you guys. If you keep me here for another year. How would you like to maybe lose that 50 pounds I was talking about? I could probably lose more. 50 sounds good. How would you like to receive a new job with eternal weight? If we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, then we become his ambassador. So what is an ambassador? What does that mean to be in service to Christ? An ambassador is an authorized representative of a sovereign king. He speaks not in his own name, but on behalf of the ruler whose deputy he is. And he is whole, and she is whole. Duty and their responsibility is to interpret that ruler's mind faithfully to those whom he has sent. And if you recall each passage that we've seen this morning, he has been emphasizing how we are to live no longer for ourselves but for Jesus. We now live for King Jesus as his royal ambassador. When we're changed into a new creation and begin sharing with others how they too can receive the same transformation, then we become an ambassador for Christ. And part of our job and responsibility is to implore people to be reconciled to God. When we implore people, we urge them, we plead with them, almost to the point where we're almost begging them because we understand why they need what they need, even if they don't know it at the moment. But God's <laughs> presence within us should be enough, should be enough to let them see, you know what, there's something different about you. There is a hope in your life. There is a peace about you. And I want to know about that. Why do you have that and I don't? It's not cramming it down their throats. It's not approaching it in a way that if you don't accept Christ right this second, you're never going to. No. That's not how we operate. We operate by the moving of the Holy Spirit and we have faith and understanding that God will speak to those that he wants to speak to. And he'll use us as that vessel and give those individuals that opportunity to know who Christ is. But after all that, after saying that, we're guaranteed a victory. Why? Because faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. If we want to succeed in whatever we face, 
including our New Year resolutions, then we'd better have on our Nike gear. What do I mean by that? You need to go out to Foot Locker and buy some Nikes? No. We need to get our Nike gear. And I'm not trying to be funny here, but the Greek word for victory in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 is Nike, or pronounced Nike. Nike. Our faith and the goals we set will lead us to experience Nike. We achieve victory. And we're going to see how having faith and setting goals can help us to overcome in the face of those difficulties and challenges, both in our New Year's resolutions and in everyday life. And with this understanding in mind, I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Please mark that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. It says this. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we... For an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus. Not with uncertainty. Thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body. And bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others. I myself. Should become. Disqualified. In verse 24. Paul said, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. When we look at verse 24, it speaks of running in a race. This is a reference to the athletic game similar to our modern day Olympics. Every two years outside the ancient city of Corinth, there were famous Olympic-type games, and they were called the Isthmian Games. And they all had events that our Olympics would have, boxing, wrestling, and all different kinds of foot races. And the winner of these events were given a wreath or a crown to wear on their heads. And it was woven of either pine boughs or olive branches. And the value of the prize was not monetary, but symbolic. And the prize for Paul was a sense of delight that he was being used by God in ministry, knowing that he had been used all of his energies and his talents and gifts for God's glory. And that's what Paul lived for. He described that prize in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you happen to catch the key word there? Goal? Whatever we're facing, let us put on our Nike gear, or rather let us keep our focus on the goals that we've set and remember the things that motivate us and keep our eyes 
on the prize. Let us run to receive our crown. Paul also observed in verse 25, Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And I've already noted that these athletes undergo strict training in their preparation for the Olympics, as we've all seen and heard as they prepare for those games. So, what is their reason for subjecting themselves to such agony? They do all this for a crown that will fade away. They seek glory in the eyes of men. But Paul endured much agony in order to obtain that imperishable and eternal crown. This should provide encouragement for us this New Year's and in our daily walk with God. If we make a resolution for Christ and find it hard to keep, remember this, that we are not experiencing agony for nothing. Our efforts will result in an everlasting prize if we run the race until it is completed. Understand that. It's not a sprint. It's a continual race. And that finish line is when we face God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. But isn't it strange, though, how much people and what things they will do for the glory of man? Just consider how many people participate in sports and athletic events but will not attend church. The Bible asks, what profit is it to gain the glory of men and lose one's soul? As believers, let us strive not for the approval of men, but for the favor of God. Verse 26, Paul said, Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight. Not as one that beats the air. You see, verse 26 here makes the point that we shouldn't practice without having a goal. Paul said that he did not run without having a reason to run. Why run if if you can't even attain a prize. Haven't you noticed that many professional athletes give up participating in their sport after their career is over? They have no more reason to continue if they cannot win a prize. You see, the prize was their goal, which kept them going. Paul asked, why in the world would someone fight if they're just going to beat or swing at the air? What's the point of shadow boxing if you are never going to fight? Whatever sport we choose to participate in or whatever resolution we choose to make, let us not just go through the motions. We need to set a goal before us. In any race that we run, we should aim for the finish line. But be careful about starting something without having the goal of finishing. I want to share one more insight with you. And there's a story of a man who approached a laborer who was laying bricks, and he asked him, what are you doing? And the laborer said, can't you see I'm laying bricks? 
The man then walked over to another bricklayer and asked, What are you doing? And the workman answered with pride, I'm building a cathedral. Both were physically doing the same thing. But the first laborer was occupied with the present task. And the other was concerned with the ultimate goal. Too many times we focus more on the task at hand than the outcome. And if we fail to keep the finish line in sight, and if we fail to remain motivated by our goals, then we will become bogged down in what we are presently doing and possibly give up. We need to look at that finish line. Why are we doing what we're doing? Because the journey to that finish line is not easy. It will beat us down. And then in verse 27, Paul said, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Without discipline, we're certain to fail. An athlete's strength comes from discipline and intense training. And I want to share with you the true story about the strength of the first marathon runner, which just happens to get where the Nike company gets its name. Verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And all the wonderful benefits that we receive could not be possible if it weren't for the great sacrifice made by the Son of God. The Lord made his only son Jesus to become sin for us. And Jesus bore that penalty for our sins when he died on the cross. He took sin temporarily, became as unrighteous before God because of the sin that he bore. And he received the punishment of sin, which is death, in order that we might be the ones to be seen as righteous in the eyes of God. Jesus was deformed that we might be transformed. He became despised and rejected that we might be made anew. Remember though, the benefits that people receive from his sacrificial death are only attained by believing that Jesus Christ truly died for us. And by believing that, he arose from the grave in order to conquer that sin and death on our behalf. If we accept his sacrifice, then we'll become the righteousness of God in Christ. And as I've stated at the beginning of this message, New Year's is seen as a time of change, and a time of renewal. If you're hoping that things will change in your life and you get easily excited by these new things, then give your heart to God and you won't be able to contain the joy that will be within you. Give your life to Jesus Christ and you will be forgiven of your sins, made into a new creation, be moved from insignificance to significance. And you'll be given a brand new and exciting job 
as an ambassador of Christ. A new year can't ever compare to the newness of life that we find in Jesus. And if you make that New Year's resolution, or better yet, if you make that commitment to follow Christ more closely this year, be sure that your goals lead to an eternal prize, not just something that is temporary. Be certain to keep your head above the clouds and refuse to become bogged down in the day-to-day routine. Discipline yourself with having that strength and endurance to reach the finish line. These are the keys to success if we uphold them. I close with this. 1 John 5, 4 says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The key to success is our faith in the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, the Lord promises that faith in him will lead to victory. And he declares, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's putting on Nike ears, brother. If you want to have God's gear on, then have faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to achieve victory in your New Year's resolutions or in any area of life, then trust in the Lord. Better yet, if you want to cross over the finish line of life into heaven one day and have victory over sin and death, trust in Jesus Christ. You must have faith in Jesus in order to have victory. And everyone is welcome to that opportunity, even this morning. So I pray that that is your focus for this upcoming year. Amen? Dave. It is the desire of Pastor Chris, myself, and the leadership of Winton First Baptist that you have an incredible, successful 2024. We can't do it without Christ. Let's stand together. I want us to read these words before we sing them. For some, it's going to be a song you probably haven't saying in a while. For some, it's going to be a new old song that you're going to learn this morning. We're going to just do one verse of it. So let's read this together. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise, and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled, Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. May we take this with us today. Hey, let's sing this. Let's go back to the beginning of this. Go ahead, Teresa. Encamped along the hills of light, the Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies against the foe and veils below. 
Heavenly Father, we are of the understanding that faith is the victory. When we put our faith and trust in you, we cannot go wrong. Lord, thank you that you love us and that you guide us. I pray that you be with us today, tomorrow, and into the future. That we have hope in knowing that we have eternal salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for our time together, Lord. Bless us as we leave and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great year. Have a great day. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.